Welcome to Healthy Voyager Radio. I'll be your host, the Healthy Voyager, Carolyn Scott. Welcome to the first Healthy Voyager Radio of this new month of May. I'm Carolyn Scott, a.k.a. the Healthy Voyager. It's getting hot these days and we're inching closer to summer. It kind of feels like there was no spring at all because it went by so fast. It felt a little springy today, but uh, I think that we're going to have a little bit of spring and it's going to jump right into summer. But I'm excited. I like summer. All right. There's one event announcement this week and then we'll get on with today's show. Uh, in a couple weeks uh, is WorldFest, Sunday, May 16th from 10.30 a.m. to 7 p.m. WorldFest is a 100% vegan and eco-fest complete with music, food, and all sorts of shopping, speakers, food demos, and more. I know that John Sally, the NBA star uh, and also a vegan, Tal Ronan, a chef extraordinaire, and a bunch of other uh, vegan celebs will be there, musicians, all that good stuff. Lots of fun for the family, pet adoptions, all kinds of neat stuff to, uh, to check out at WorldFest. So if you're in L.A. that weekend of May 16th, it's a Sunday, stop on by Woodley Park, which is in the Valley, and check out WorldFest. For more information, check out worldfestevents.com. Check them out and wear sunscreen because usually WorldFest is pretty hot and sunny. All right. Uh, I really like today's show because I'll be chatting with another veg podcaster, and a vegan artist slash comedian. I really enjoy the guests that I get to bring on the show, especially because of the wide array of messages, professions, ideas, and topics that I get to cover. Even though I'm vegan, my goal for this particular show is to offer new insight and views on all sorts of topics of health and green living. In fact, that's what my entire brand has evolved into. It, you know, it was pretty much the travel show many years ago, and now it's kind of all-encompassing healthy and green living. And there's so many different aspects of healthy and green living. It's more like whole living that includes everything from actual health and nutrition to relationship health uh, or family, career, financial health, etc. I'm very excited for what the new Healthy Voyager site is going to offer to you, my listeners and readers, as I hope it becomes a one-stop shop for all of those topics. I'm really passionate about health overall wellness, as well as helping those who, who seek answers. I'll be incorporating areas for those who live with autism, diabetes, as well as adding a charity branch to help needy and low-income families learn how to cook and eat healthy while being able to find resources in their area to locate that type of food. So I'm very, very excited about that, uh, and I can't wait to share that with you on the show as well as on the new website. So for Healthy Voyager Radio, I'm always trying to find guests who cover all of these areas and beyond because I love to be connected to up-and-coming information and new ideas. For instance, today's show will showcase another vegan podcaster and a veggie artist and comedian. It's so much fun to meet others in this space who are also being creative in the ways that they're choosing to promote their message. I, as I've mentioned many times before, uh, became vegan for health, and I'm committed to that cause. So I seek others to bolster that message and that cause, as well as um, show another side of the cause. I'm sure my guests today will be able to do that, as I know that each of them have very different, yet very compelling reasons that they have chosen the airwaves and uh, or the paintbrush to tell their story to others. Uh, I hear about new people every day doing great things in this space, and I'm delighted to be a part of the movement. I'm not sure if any of you um, were watching Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution. I think it just ended a few weeks ago. But it's so indicative of how far we've come, where we're going, and how much we still have left to accomplish. I know Jamie was doing such great work, and if he's encountering that type of opposition, just trying to get people to eat fresh foods, not processed foods, let alone anything very specific like like a vegan diet. Imagine the road we have ahead of us. But it's doable. My personal approach has always been to lead by example, not by force, because you really get more bees with honey, proving that a healthy lifestyle isn't social suicide and that there isn't a smidge of, dep of deprivation um, is what I consistently preach. And I've seen quite a change in the people in my life over the course of my veggie quest. Getting people healthy is possible, and I'm excited to be a part of the pack. We're a, uh, a big group of mixed nuts, but it's a good group to be part of. Okay, so stay tuned as I'll be chatting with my first guest right after the break, fellow vegan podcaster Vance Lemkill. 
Hi, this is Joe Elliott from Def Leppard for Rad. Planning on going out and having a party? Great, have a lot of fun. But do me a big favor and don't blow it. Always choose a designated driver. Remember, music lives, you should too. A public service message brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Healthy Voyager Radio. My first guest is a fellow vegan podcaster, and our segment today is somewhat of a part two of sorts. I was on his show towards the end of last year, so we're swapping sides of the mic, and now he is joining us here on Healthy Voyager Radio. So here we go with Vance Lemkul of VegCast. Hello, Vance. Hello, Carolyn. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you this wonderful day of May? It is wonderful. It's wonderful over here as well as over there, I guess. Yeah, you're uh, in Philly, right? That's correct. Is it still chilly in Philly? It's uh, it's less chilly now than it was uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it's really improving. Excellent, excellent. So tell us a little bit about VegCast. Uh, well, VegCast uh, is a podcast that comes out twice a month most months. Uh, I tried to adhere to that strict schedule of most months getting two in, although April, we only got one. But uh, Mm -hmm. uh, it's one that I do uh, kind of as I can get to it, but uh, I have actually managed to uh, have uh, quite a few people on, including yourself, of course. Uh, We've talked to people like Rory Friedman, uh, Skinny Bitch, uh, Martha Grimes, the mystery author, Heather Mills, uh, Chris Walla of uh, Death Cab for Cutie. The criterion is I, I talk to uh, vegetarians about uh, things of interest to vegetarians and vegans, and I've been doing it since uh, summer of 2005. So what prompted you to start your podcast? Well, uh, I work for the Philadelphia Daily News, and uh, my boss at the time said, we're going to do a podcast, and it uh, – uh, wound up being the first big city newspaper podcast uh, to launch. And uh, when we did that, I said, boy, I bet there's going to be a lot of podcasts out there. Um, and having worked in radio previously, before I uh, started working more on the newspaper side of things, I figured I could probably swing that. So uh, I ran to check whether somebody had grabbed the domain name vegcast.com. <laughs> since they hadn't, uh, I've figured, well, I'll call it that, and uh, went ahead with uh, a a kind of approach that, uh, you know, I would be able to talk to uh, people about different kinds of topics of interest, uh, showcase some of uh, the music of my band, Green Beings, and also keep track of the latest uh, developments in uh, scientific studies. And so those three elements basically form the core of uh, of each podcast. And how did you decide to cut? Because I love your little science fact section. What prompted you to, to start that? Well, before I was doing VegCast, I had a blog that I started in 2002 called Meat Facts, which existed primarily as a way for me to keep track of uh, things that I wanted to, studies that were coming out that I wanted to keep track of uh, and that obviously uh, support uh, my. Uh, perspective that uh, you know meat is is a bad idea as something to consume, and in uh, extrapolating from that, dairy products as well. And so I was, studies were constantly coming out, and I'd like note them, but they I'd forget about them. So I started blogging them so I'd be able to find them. And uh, having done that, I kind of developed a, uh, a way of finding material and finding uh, new studies that were coming out, and and wanting to share those with people. So for a little while, I was doing both Meat Facts and VegCast um, and doing basically with the science fact what I had been doing on the blog, which is to report uh, almost entirely uh, peer-reviewed scientific studies uh, and the data from them, but usually adding uh, some of my own commentary and perspective into that as to why I happened to think that it was significant. And um, then eventually I, I 
had to stop meat facts because I was spending too much time on VegCast. So it's, mm -hmm. it's kind of taken over that function. So I know you mentioned before that when you choose your guests, you uh, obviously they're vegetarian, and you talk about vegetarian topics. Right. Do you choose the topics, or do you let them kind of choose the topics? And is it the topic chooses the guest, or because of the guest you're bringing on that chooses the topic? Yeah, it's mainly it's mainly the latter. I mean, uh, like as with any talk show kind of thing, we tend to have people on who are you know just have a book out or have just been in the news for something. Uh, so that that is obviously going to be the main topic of conversation. Um, mm -hmm. Other than that, I don't, uh, you know, I usually have some things that I want to uh, elicit or bring forth, bring forward in the conversation, but uh, other than that, it, it, we kind of let it flow as it will. Um, only in the case of Heather Mills did I have to make an agreement to not uh, ask Question about, about Paul. Topic. Well, Paul was one of the topics. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I I uh, I found the same questionnaire when I uh, I've got her coming up in a few months, and that was the first thing they said, and I was like, hey, look, that's yeah. this isn't TMZ. <laughs> well, but that was fine because I I wasn't having her on to talk about Paul. I wanted to talk about B exactly. Bite, and uh, so we we had a great interview. Exactly. Exactly. It's very funny. Uh, what's your favorite aspect of doing your show? Um. Well, when it works, the interview segments, uh, being able to get into a conversation and, and go somewhere that I had uh, known a conversation was going to go, uh, is that those are the, the kind of the high points for me. It doesn't happen all the time, um, but uh, you know, some, it's always kind of a surprise how it's going to be, and you know, who people bring different kind of expectations and uh, uh, the conversation can go in interesting directions. So uh, sometimes it's a little more pro forma. Uh, other times it, it really uh, develops into something interesting. I mean, I I think of I, when I got into conversation with Rory Friedman, I did want to, you know, talk candidly about the question of feminism and whether, you know, something called skinny bitch and kind of the different paradigms she was playing on and playing within were uh, we're going to be on the whole productive or unproductive, and uh, that that developed into a. Some people found it contentious, a contentious mm -hmm. conversation, but uh, it it was not necessarily one of the all-time high points. But it was certainly a very interesting uh, conversation, I thought, and I I enjoy those. Um, but I don't try to necessarily, you know, I don't have any ambush interview. I don't invite mm -hmm. somebody on for one thing and say, all right, now, what are you, uh, you mm -hmm. were found at 3 a.m. and, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> so how long have you been vegan, and do you recall the defining moment that kind of swayed you in that direction? Yeah, um, I, the first question is harder to answer, actually, uh, which <laughs> I know is odd for a vegan. I remember very clearly how long I've been vegetarian, uh, which is coming up on 25 years now because I actually wow. uh, insisted on having an initiation ceremony by uh, a friend of mine who had been a, a very powerful influence in my decision. But uh, as for veganism, I decided to go vegan and gave myself a certain amount of time to, to complete the transition. And mm -hmm. it was within 2000, it was somewhere in the year 2000, I gave myself to the end of the year to finally be vegan, but it didn't actually take till the end of the year. So it was sometime probably late in the year uh, in 2000. I didn't like mark it down because I wasn't sure if I was going to backslide before my, my year was up, but uh, I didn't mm -hmm. wind up doing that. But as for the, the moment itself, um, it was, it was basically two, uh, one for, you know, I was already a vegetarian uh, for a long time. And um, there were two incidents. One was interviewing Howard Lyman for Philadelphia City Paper uh, in preparation to attending my first vegetarian Summerfest, which he was speaking at, uh, and talking to him about dairy and uh, reading Mad Cowboy and, and coming off of that with an actual conversation with him about dairy and bringing up what I thought were cogent uh observations, which he just basically batted down very easily. 
and having to just start thinking about something that, you know, what was I doing eating, consuming dairy when I was so fervent about my not eating meat? And mm-hmm. um, then I went to Vegetarian Summerfest and got exposed to a lot of uh, uh, vegan ideas uh, and authors and speakers and so forth that uh, really filled in this uh, this concept of veganism for me, which previously had just been a very two-dimensional kind of caricature that I was holding in my mind. As uh, you can see, if you uh, pick up a copy of my book from 1997, The Joy of Soy, a uh, collection of vegetarian cartoons, which has a handful of cartoons about vegans in it, and it's generally they're they're I mean of course they're cartoons so they're two dimensional but it's it's still among the different cartoons uh, vegans are treated uh, somewhat shamefully I think now from my perspective here but at any rate I went to Summerfest principally uh, to promote the joy of soy and wound up uh, getting exposed to different speakers and one of them was uh, Karen Davis uh, and her description of what happens in uh, in egg hatcheries. Uh, and how male chicks are just uh, thrown in a grinder or a trash can or whatever uh, was so uh, overwhelming to me that I I think pretty much from that point I, I stopped on the eggs. The dairy and the cheese, it took me longer uh, to have the willpower to, uh, to, to cut out, but uh, mm-hmm. that was certainly a big, a big moment for me. Yeah, that, that's usually everyone's, you know, caveat. From, yeah. from vegetarianism and then the, the dairy. It's, it can be very tough. It's a big part of our society. Yeah. Peace and it was. And I, I couldn't imagine how I was going to live without cheese, you know, especially. Mm-hmm. I, that was the last thing that I gave myself to, to cut out. And that's one of the, the reasons that I don't know the date, because I figured it'll take me a year. I decided mm-hmm. in 1998 that I was going to be vegan by the end of 2000. I mean, this is a ridiculously <laughs> long time. And but I figured I needed that long to wean myself off of cheese because it was going to be so terrible living a life without cheese. Right. And, right. Um, and once I stopped drinking milk, which I also at that time was very often drinking milk, I would have dessert almost every night and, and have cookies or something and drink a big glass of one uh, percent milk with it. And um, and once I had stopped drinking milk, I started finding that uh, my the hold that cheese had on me was was diminishing, and and I didn't actually take as long to get get through with it as I thought. And now, you know, within by the end of 2000, I'm like, cheese? What the hell would I need cheese for? Why would I think that I wanted to have that yeah. in my mouth? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember. Sorry. I used to eat a block of cheddar cheese in a sitting when I was a kid, and now I I couldn't care less. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. You, you get used to it. Your palate changes. Right. So does your your day job, I know you mentioned that you're a writer uh, yeah. for the paper. Do you uh, Does it kind of reflect your activism, or do you kind of write about everything or specific topics that have nothing to do with the veggie world? Well, it's, um, it, it's tricky because my actual job here is online editor. I was hired as the paper's first online editor in 2000 mm. and uh, have done that job for a while. Um, and... Basically, I've been able to also freelance for the paper uh, as uh, you know, as a veggie-oriented writer. So um, I do write for the paper occasionally. Um, it's not as often as I would probably like if I had more time or if I could do it. You know, uh, I mean, they're they're tolerant insofar as if I'm writing a piece for the features section, like a features cover story about new vegetarian restaurants in Philadelphia or some other trend that I've been able to package into a story, um, you know, it's, it's perfectly, uh, they're, they're perfectly tolerant of me writing that during working hours, but I don't actually get paid for it. Uh, mm-hmm. But I also write op-eds occasionally for the opinion section when I have something to say that is a little too dangerous for the features section. So mm-hmm. as it turns out, just about everything that I write, I've written maybe two pieces since I've been here that haven't been uh, oriented toward trying to get a vegan message out. Um, but the rest of them, when I do write, it's because I choose to write something uh, because, mm-hmm. you know, they don't assign me pieces because they, they can't pay me for them. So mm-hmm. uh, so it's basically, it's a good deal in that I, I have uh, access to a, a uh, you know, a, a bullhorn basically to be able to, 
uh, get some things out there. Um, right. And it helps them because uh, Daily News is always uh, short on cash to pay people for things because uh, things are, you know, they're a little tricky right now in the newspaper industry, as oh, you yeah. have heard. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I know that, uh, so you got lucky that you're able to dabble a little bit in uh, getting your message out in that regard. I know right. that you also get your message out via music. Tell us a little bit about Green Beans. Right. Well, that also, I guess it has its genesis at my first Summerfest where um, they asked me if I would, uh, basically I had to pitch to them that they should have me there as an author rather than me uh, having to pay the full registration fee. And we worked out a little deal for that first one where I had a discounted fee if I would uh, do this, do that, if I would do some segment for the children's uh, program that they have. And so I figured I would write a song for that. And um, I, the song that I decided to write was a list of what things you can eat if, if you don't eat meat. So I wrote mm -hmm. this song, Leftovers, which is a patter song um, where you know you just sing very quickly. And a lot of the, the humor of the song is just how many words it has. In this case, it's, it's that you know there are just so many things. We can't even list all the things that you can eat if you don't eat meat. And um, I wrote the song, finished it uh, basically at Summerfest, and uh, played it for the kids. They loved it, and I actually wound up playing it uh, for the grown-ups uh, at the end of that weekend. And uh, from there, I have uh, some friends who are also musicians uh, and songwriters, and we, uh, we got together and started this band, Green Beings, uh, basically so we would have an entity to uh, put forward <laughs> this song, and we wrote other songs, and it... Uh, Kind of went on from there. We've done a couple of albums now, and uh, have uh, the the song "Leftovers" has been played on Dr. Demento and uh, different venues. It's on YouTube now with the with the video I just did last year that people seem to enjoy. So, uh, so that's I mean, it's not like I expect Green Beings to break into uh, you know the top 40 or into commercial radio anytime <laughs> soon. But uh, it's just good to have them there. And, of course, Green Beings perform the official VegCast theme. And I have an advantage over some other podcasters in that I can write my own theme song. So, <laughs> so yeah, I absolutely. <laughs> and I'm definitely going to play, uh, on our way out to break, I'm going to play a snippet of Leftovers. So. Great. Yeah. So yep. where do you see VegCast in the future? Is this uh, the rest of your life you're going to do this podcast? Where do you see uh your activism and your message going in, in the future? Well, you know, I didn't foresee VegCast coming as of even early 2005. So uh, it was just something that uh, this technology emerged and the trend emerged of people subscribing to, uh, you know, using this RSS technology to su subscribe to MP3 files, which now were called podcasts uh, in this format. And as soon as that technology emerged, I saw that that was something where I, with the skills that I already had, could use that to to get uh, information out to people, and uh, and that's that's become you know it, it's it goes all over the globe now. We I get correspondence from different people worldwide. We have about uh, 35,000 downloads of the different uh, podcasts that are still hosted up there every month. So it's. Um, that's doing well right now. I'm just basically continuing to do that as long as people are listening to podcasts. But I imagine something else will likely emerge or evolve uh, that I may want to to jump on top of. I may still do writing. Uh, I write for uh, Vegetarian Voice as well as a, a couple of other venues. I do cartooning here and there. Uh, I have Light Life uh, has a newsletter that they they run uh, often uh, Joy of Soy cartoons in, so there I have various different things where basically I'm you know if you have some kind of venue I'm I'm going to be there trying to get the, the word out <laughs> in whatever way I can. Excellent, excellent. So tell us again where we can find uh, VegCast and your music and your cartoons and all of that. Sure. Well, the easiest. Uh, thing is to go to vegcast.com for the podcast. Uh, there you can find links to other things, uh, including other vegetarian-themed podcasts. Uh, you can 
find the, the archives of VegCast and also uh, link off to the Green Beings site, uh, which is greenbeingsmusic.com. And there we have our whole first album uh, available uh, as a download. You can download the MP3s for free. The second album we haven't uh, we haven't released online yet. You still would need to, to buy that one. Uh, that's Electric Green. But um, as for the cartoons, I, do, I, I had a place on City Paper, uh, which uh, I was their political cartoonist for 12 years. They, they gave me some web space. Um, and I haven't actually gone and replicated that after they did a massive site redesign some years after I had already left the paper and was just still using their web hosting. Uh, and they, they let me know that they were going to do that. Uh, but I haven't put that back up anywhere. I really should try to get some kind of gallery for the, the cartoons up there. But just, uh, you know, watch for them. They'll be, you'll see them. It, uh, Vegetarian Voice, Veg News, other places, uh, Vegetarian Times, the cartoons have been in there as well. So uh, if you're a consumer of somewhat mainstream vegetarian media, it'll probably crop up sooner or later. Excellent. Well, I'll definitely want to put, um, we're redesigning HealthyVoyager.com, so I'd love to have a space for, for yeah. your artwork. So definitely uh, we'll be in touch regarding that. Okay. All right, Vance, thanks so much for coming on today's show. I'm well, very glad that we were able to uh, do the reciprocation part of our, uh, our little interview. Yeah, and thanks for and having look- me. That's great. Sure, anytime. So everybody listen to VegCast and check out Green Beings on VegCast.com. All right, everyone, stay with us because after the break, I welcome the very talented and very funny Dan Peraro. Well, there's broccoli, gingerbread, almonds, and rice milk for your cornflakes. Asparagus, artichokes, apricot, pepper, pineapple, and carrot cake. Banana, biscotti, sorbet, manicotti, and raisin and strawberry waffle. Tomatoes, potatoes, gazpacho, and nachos, alfalfa, fennel, and falafel. Destination Imagination is an extraordinary after-school program in creativity and teamwork for every child. In fact, Destination Imagination could be the most important journey your kid makes this year or any year. Parents and teachers, start a Destination Imagination team by calling 888-321-1503 or visit DestinationImagination.org. That's DestinationImagination.org. Thanks for coming back to Healthy Voyager Radio. This next guy is an artist, a comedian, a vegan, and so much more. You may have seen some of his work on various vegan products, campaigns, and more. And if you haven't, visiting his Bizarro site is a must. With me now is none other than Mr. Dan Bizarro Peraro. Hello, Dan. Hi, Caroline. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you today? I'm good. All right, Dan. So tell us. Who exactly are you? Oh wow, that's a that's a broad question. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. Oddly enough, <laughs> um, I, uh, I I do a cartoon strip. I do some comedy stuff. I do art, and uh, I, I don't know. Basically, I just sort of um, stumble through life, uh, following my conscience and uh, trying to have some fun and create some some art and some comedy, and um, whatever happens, happens. That's how I look at it. Excellent. So when did you decide to pursue a career in art? Have you always been an artist since you were a kid? Yeah, I was. That was always my favorite thing to do. I was into, you know, sports and television and cowboys and Indians and spaceships and all that other stuff that kids are into. But um, drawing was always my favorite thing to do. And I spent a lot of time uh, drawing as a, as a kid. I was always better at it than than the other kids my age. You know, I had a, a lot of natural talent, which I'm uh, very fortunate to have been born with. And, um, yeah, so I, I've done it ever since I was a kid. And growing up, I always wanted to be an artist. Uh, of course, when I was little, I wanted to be a fireman or an astronaut or a superhero. But um, by the time I was probably 10 or 12 years old, I, I knew I wanted to be an artist of some kind. And then when I got uh, out of high school and into the world, um, went to art school for a while, for a short time, and, and quit. It didn't suit me. And um, at that point, I just started looking for ways to make a living as an artist. And I started out doing um, advertising illustration because it was a, you know, there was money in it. It was a way I could pay the rent. And from there, I kind of, um, in my early, in my middle twenties, I decided to try to get a cartoon strip 
going and, and started uh, drawing cartoons and sending them off to syndicates. And I was lucky enough to get signed when I was 26, I guess. Very cool. So your preferred medium is actual, you know, pencil to paper, pen to paper drawing, or do you paint as well? Oh, yeah. I like everything. I like sculpting. I like painting. I like watercolor, oils, acrylics, you name it. Um, I like to I like to draw with pen and ink, with 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 pencil with crayon i mean there's i like i like doing art straight on computers um it's it's basically creating anything it's all the same sort of a satisfying process to create anything in any medium in any way i can i mean i'll draw pictures with salt on the table at a restaurant when i when i'm bored you know, <laughs> i just i just like making things i i've always been that way and uh it's it's just a fun thing to do and i've never quit and basically self-taught. I know you said art school wasn't wasn't uh, your bag, I guess. Right. Yeah. I'm, I would I would have to say I'm entirely self-taught. Um, I had one semester of art school and and um, rebelled through that entire three months or whatever. <laughs> I didn't like what uh, what was happening and what they were trying to teach me, and so I I bailed. But uh, other than that, I just had you know art class at school for an hour a day or a week or whatever the, the uh, curriculum was. And, and mm-hmm. that was. That was always my, that was always my first choice as an elective was art class. If it was an elective, you know, when you get the older school there, it's always an elective. And um, yeah, it was just, uh, so I, I really have, what I, what I learned about commercial art, I learned from a, from a, uh, an older man who I was I was working for, I was kind of apprenticing with an older guy who did illustration. So I learned a lot about illustration techniques from him. Uh, but when it comes to painting and cartooning and those kinds of things, um, that stuff was all self-taught. I just experiment until I got what I wanted, and I've been doing it pretty much every day for around 50 years now. So I'm fi- I'm 51, and I started drawing as soon as I was old enough to hold a crayon. So um, when you when you practice anything every day for 50 years, you get reasonably good at it, I would hope. <laughs> I, would guess, I would guess so. Now, you're a funny guy, and you do stand-up, and you've incorporated your artwork with your stand-up. Now, how, when did you realize you were funny enough to get in front of a crowd, and when did you decide to kind of incorporate your art with it? Yeah, I was always it happened sort of slowly and, and accidentally in, in some ways. I was always a class clown. I, I liked making people laugh. Um when I became a uh, oh and I was in a I was in a I was the front man for a band. I was a singer for a band when I was uh, like eighteen to twenty three or so I did that. I was in a few school theater productions. So I just I always enjoyed performing and um when I became a cartoonist people began asking me to come speak. You know, at anything from PTA meeting to a career day at school to uh, just to come talk at a university as a cartoonist or whatever. And I would, I would, you know, they started out just as talks where I would show cartoons on on a slide projector, you know, and talk about my work and stuff. And and I and I realized that I, I enjoyed sort of um, making those talks as funny as possible. And about around about year 2000, I think, yeah, I think it was about 2000. I thought, you know, I'd just turn this into a little comedy show and take it to different cities where my cartoons popular. People would come see me just to see what I was up to if they were fans of the cartoon. And and then I just sort of invented this little one-man show with songs and puppets and props and costumes and cartoons and onstage drawing and audience interaction and mind reading and just all kinds of nonsense. <laughs> um, just whatever I could think of. The, the show, and it was all handmade stuff that, you know, it was... It, it was I've always said it was the sort of show that a 13-year-old kid might do in his garage on a on a fairly decent budget. Um, <laughs> I did. I didn't have much of a budget for a real show, but I think it was a, it was a better budget than the average 13-year-old has. I guess is what I'm saying. So, um, yeah, it was all very kind of handmade and and thrown together, and people really liked it. I did it at the New York Fringe Festival in 2002, and I and I won best solo show in the festival. So that was a great honor, and I also got a, a nice review from the New York Times, which is always a great. Thing to have uh, in your resume anywhere. Yeah, for sure. So tell us about Bizarro. Your website, I guess, is all-encompassing of, of your work. What's, uh, what's that all about? Well, Bizarro, of course, is the name of my cartoon strip, and it's, uh, it's, a, well, it's a cartoon panel. It's not really a strip. It's a single panel, and um, runs in like 250 newspapers worldwide, most of which are in North America. 
but there's a, there's a few in Europe and Asia and South America. I don't think I have any in Africa. But um, and of course it's online. And uh, yeah, it's just um, it's just a, a gag a day cartoon. I, I've never tried to bring any big agenda to it. I don't have regular characters or or storylines. It's just a joke a day. But when I became uh, vegan and an animal, when I became aware of, of uh, animal abuse and animal rights around about 2002, when I met my now wife, um, I started because I'm always looking for an idea, you know, for a joke. I just um, anything I'm thinking about ends up coming out in the strip in some form, some in some way or another. So I started doing some uh, a few cartoons here and there about animal rights and vegetarianism and veganism and diet in general and environment and all these kinds of things. And that actually attracted a lot of attention from groups that were already into that sort of thing. And they started asking me to speak and I, I became sort of a, um, I guess sort of a, a cult hero among, among people who believe in all those things that I believe. And um, yeah, that's, that's actually how I got to this show today. <laughs> yeah, that's how I found you. Right. Where, where do you find, I know that you do the joke a day, but where do you find inspiration for your work? Oh, I have no idea. You know, just anywhere and everywhere. There's no there's no good answer for that. It's a question that always gets asked of cartoonists. Where do you come up with your ideas? And um, I've never heard any of my colleagues give a good answer to that, and I don't have a good answer to that. It's um, It's just... Some of us can do that. Uh, thank, thank goodness, not everyone can do it, or I would be working in an office somewhere. I wouldn't have this job. But uh, I just sit down and you know stare at a, at a blank space and let my mind wander and, and see what comes up and try to find a way to make it funny and scribble a few ideas down and draw some characters and one way or another, it, I end up coming up with a cartoon a day. So, do you illustrate mainly, or, or paint, or illustrate, or any of your artwork? mainly for work now, or do you still kind of take off and, and do stuff on your own for yourself? I do a little bit on my own for myself, but, you know, like any, like any job, uh, any career gets, gets that, 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 is, uh, that is successful, that is, that is uh, you know, an active concern or a growing concern. There's just always a million things to do. So the vast majority of the work, the artwork that I do of any sort, ends up being for Bizarro in one way or another. The books, the website, the blog, the cartoon itself. I mean, it's always so much about that stuff. There's so much to do that it, it, most of the work I do ends up being uh, in that realm. But then I also will make, um, I like to make little gifts for people. Um, I'll make a cartoon or something or a drawing or something for my wife, you know, um, for, a, for a present. Or, or um, and I also do things for myself just for fun every now and then. But it's I, I I don't have nearly enough time to actually paint like I'd like to. I'd love to just be able to sit around and oil paint all the time, and also do a lot of uh, music or play guitar and write songs and stuff. I'd love to be able to do that all the time. I'd love to be able to write more. I'd love to be able, you know, it's, yeah, not enough time in the day to do all the things I'd like to do. Do you do you keep a sketchbook for yourself? Do you ever just kind of keep something with you and doodle? Yeah, yeah. I usually have one of those, especially when I travel. It's it's nice when I travel to be able to. Um, have a uh, sketchbook with me and sit in the airport and, you know, when I'm waiting for a flight to, to do, um, you know, just draw some of the characters around me, some of the people around me, turn them into cartoons or, or sometimes a stream of consciousness nonsense, just anything that occurs to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I do that quite a bit when I'm, especially when I'm traveling because I usually will work ahead so that I don't have to work right. while I'm traveling, you know. So, okay, so you're vegan, obviously, which is why one of the main reasons you're on the show. And when did you decide on that lifestyle choice and why? Well, um, I've always been a guy who was compassionate to animals, uh, like most people are. Um, and, um, you know, I was the sort of guy that always helped dogs and cats, stray dogs and cats, or, you know, I would help a baby bird that fell out of a tree in the yard. You know, you try to figure out a way to get it back in its nest, or, you know, you go crazy doing these kind of things, trying to help animals when it's one-on-one. But I never really thought that much about the, the animals that the food I was eating came from. Um, I just sort of imagined those were stupid eating machines in a farm somewhere that didn't know if they were alive or dead. Uh, you know, you just kind of rationalize that because it's the way I was raised. I, uh, was, I was raised to be kind to animals, but, but to eat my chicken sandwich, uh, which right. is a great, contra- it's a great contradiction, but it's not a contradiction that your parents teach you. <laughs> so, um, 
when I met my wife, who's been an animal activist since she was a little kid, as soon as she was old enough to find out where meat came from, she stopped eating it on her own. She just says, I don't want to do that. And she became a vegetarian without ever having ever heard that word. So she, um, she, by the time I met her, she was in her late 20s and she was uh, already a full-grown activist and, and doing all kinds of things to support the cause. And she was a, a vegan and, and um, I was interested in her and I liked the way she thought and I liked the way she, uh, uh, the things that she did and believed in and I sort of wanted to know more about it. So she, without, you know, she wasn't preachy about it and she didn't demand it of me, but I was interested in what she was interested in and what she believed and why. And when I started learning those things, I just changed immediately. Um, the, within a few months, I had learned enough to where I thought, you know, I should really, hmm, this isn't making as much sense to me as it used to. I think I might, you know, I might want to stop eating meat. And then one day she invited me to a farm animal sanctuary in upstate New York. Just said, let's go visit for a day. I've been giving money to them for years, and I haven't visited the farm. Let's go have a look. And I said, okay, let's do it. And after one day of meeting these animals in an unstressed environment, um, I was just, I was utterly charmed and ashamed of what I had been subsidizing the abuse of these animals all these years. And they, they just, I mean, it was, it doesn't take a genius to understand that they're every bit as sentient and affectionate and individual as any cat or dog. And I thought I wouldn't do, I wouldn't pay someone to do these things to cats and dogs so that I could have a burger. I'm not going to pay anybody to do these things to chickens, pigs, or cows anymore so that I can have a sandwich. There's plenty of other things to eat. And I just quit that day. I've never looked back. It's uh, one of the smartest, uh, most uh, gratifying decisions I've ever made, for sure. Now, did you immediately incorporate your message or your newfound meaning for life, I guess you would say, into your artwork, or did it take a little bit of time? It definitely took time. I started um, I started thinking about it, um, you know, and wondering if there was ways that I could get that that message into um, into my cartoons, but it's not a you know it's not a pleasant message for the most part. So it's, it's difficult. You know, writing a cartoon about animal abuse is like trying to write a cartoon about childhood cancer or something. You know, it's just it's not a pleasant thing, um, and it's difficult to find a joke in there anywhere. But I, little by little, I actually started finding a voice, ways to make it sort of funny and thought provoking at the same time, and um, you know, it, you just kind of have to let those things happen naturally. And once it started happening, and I was able to do the cartoons, you know, I got into kind of a rhythm. And um, now I've been doing it for quite a few years, off and on. And um, yeah, so it's uh, it's 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 really fun to be able to bring bring a message with some humor, um, or to bring uh, a message to my humor. It's uh, I, I find it really gratifying. It's it's a lot of fun to do it. Now, I know that you you provide a lot of your artwork for a lot of companies on um, packaging and T-shirts and stuff. How do you choose the people and companies that you work with as far as uh, creating the art for them to use? Well, if, you know, those things kind of come to me. If, if somebody – I'm not a very good businessman, so I don't go choosing these. I don't, I don't come up with the, uh, these ideas and go finding people to do it for me. I – Typically, people, you know, propose ideas to me, and I, and I, I, I just, you know, whether or not I work with them is based on a lot of things. Everything from how busy I am at the moment to, um, uh, you know, just to that person's personality and whether or not I think they're, you know, it's a good, honest company that's going to do a good job and and um, not use like, you know, Indonesian slave labor to produce the shirts or whatever. You right. Know? So I, I just try to do everything with a certain amount of conscience and. Um, Make sure that it's that's uh, somebody who's uh, who's got some integrity that I can that I can trust to do a good job and you know and then go from there. Now, where do you hope to see Dan Peraro and Bizarro in the future? Well, any I, projects I, that are kind of uh, coming up? Yeah, I am. I'm actually in the very beginning stages of trying to get an animated TV show, and I, I have some. Uh, we're working on that, and I have some good connections, and I'm hoping that that, uh, that comes through within the next year or two, and I can uh, bring this stuff to television. That would be way fun, beyond my wildest dreams. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm looking forward to that possibly happening. Yeah, me too. Again, so if you can tell us where we can find out more about you and your work, um, tour schedules, uh, all that stuff. Yeah, all that information is always on the web. There's uh, bizarro.com, 
one Z, two R's. People frequently want to put two Z's in there, but you shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, so Bizarra.com is my regular uh, cartoon site, which is sort of a, a home base for all that stuff. I do a daily blog, which, which always lists anything new that's happening on a day-to-day basis, and that's at uh, bizarrocomic.blogspot.com. <laughs> um, I'm also on Twitter. I think it's, uh, it's Peraro Bizarro is my Twitter handle. So I announce things on there. And, um, and I, oh, I recently have a, a Bizarro iPhone app. So if you have an iPhone for $1.99 a year, you can get a live Bizarro cartoon delivered to your iPhone every single day for a year. Nice. Very cool. Lots of places to find you and hopefully soon on TV. Yeah, I hope so. Excellent. Well, thanks again for coming on the show today, Dan. I know uh, you're uh, out of town, so I'm glad you were able to make it. Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks again. Can't wait to see uh, more from Mr. Bizarro Perraro. Don't go anywhere because we'll be right back after these brief messages. At 4.15 p.m. at an office in Michigan, Angie Hicks is not at her desk. She's giving blood at the company blood drive. At the same time in the same office, Kevin Meehan is not at his desk. He's at the doctor. Kevin has cancer and needs another round of chemo. Kevin will need blood to fight his cancer. Angie's blood will help him win. When you give blood to the American Red Cross, you change a life. Starting with your own. Call 1-800-GIVE-LIFE or visit givelife.org to schedule your appointment to give blood. And we're back on Healthy Voyager Radio. All right, make sure you visit vegcast.com for all of Vance's vegan podcasts as well as bizarro.com to check out Dan's artwork, his tour schedule, and all that fun stuff. You can follow them both on Facebook and Twitter, blah, 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 the inter- interweb, internet, blah, blah, blah. They're all over the place. Make sure you join me next week when I welcome a um, wonderful vegan, uh, healthy food advocate, Maria Abraham of Eat Cleaner, the wonderful product. I'm excited to share that with you all, as well as raw chef extraordinaire, Brian O. As for me, Healthy Voyager, of course, you can follow me on Twitter, healthyvoyager.com, and please be sure to check it out. Uh, I'm launching the healthyvoyager.com, the new site, the new and improved version on Memorial Day weekend, healthyvoyager.com, so stay tuned for the changes on that. Obviously, of course, on Facebook, uh, YouTube channel, all that. And although I have a social networking site on Ning, which is healthyvoyagerpassportpals.ning.com, it's going to be transferred to the one-stop shop, newhealthyvoyager.com. So check that out. Even if you sign up for the Ning website, all that information is going to be transferred to the the new healthyvoyager.com site. So um, don't worry. It'll be seamless and you'll still be able to connect with with other people on uh, on that social network. Alrighty, I'd like to thank Vance Lemkul and Dan Peraro one more time for all of their great info today. Be sure to check out the podcast of today's show as well as past shows on HealthyVoyager.com as well as on iTunes and Zoom and all over the web. I post it everywhere, so you can't miss it. So subscribe, don't miss a show, always good stuff on Healthy Voyager Radio. And before we head out, I'm going to play one of my all-time favorite bands. Yep, it's a hair band, and no, I am not ashamed. Nothing paints the late 80s or the early 90s like hair metal. And did you know that one of these rocker bands is made up of mostly vegans? Mm-hmm. That band is Def Leppard. Obviously, you can check them out anywhere online, and I'm sure you've heard all of their hits. But since I equate the coming of summer and summertime in general with the 80s and some good trashy metal rock, I figured I'd honor these vegan rockers with a tune. Thanks so much for joining me today. Have an awesome weekend and enjoy Animal by Def Leppard. Bye. <laughs>